Hey, thanks for tuning in to Acts 23, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. What kind of test do you prefer? I, I know that's a, a very, depending on how you define test and maybe what season of life you're in may determine how you hear that question. What kind of test do you prefer? Not, not, not spiritual tests, so to speak, um, but more, more of a student's kind of perspective. A student perspective, what, what kind of test do you prefer? I'm not a math guy. Uh, Laurie can attest to that. Um, I'm not an English guy. Laurie can attest to that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not much of a school guy, I guess, thinking about it. But, but, but if, I'm in, if I'm in school, I mean, I, I've, I've thought about this an awful lot. You know, there are the tests that are the long answer form kind of tests. Um, there are the written out assignments to where you write out papers or you type out papers and, and you're submitting these lengthy 500 word essay kind of stuff. There, there, there are, but, but there's one particular test that my mind has thought often about because I'm, I'm kind of struggling but between do I like this kind of test or do I not like this kind of test. And the, the kind of test that I'm talking about is a true or false answer kind of test. Who is the true or false answer loving test person? Okay. Well, one of the reasons is, is because you, you got a 50-50 chance. Right? I'm going to. And, and, if, and if you were like me, not the most honest student in the world when I was younger, you might write your T to look a little bit like an F. <laughs> Kids do not follow that example. That is a sinful example you don't want to do that. But, but whenever I was taking true or false answer kind of test in school, I, I would run across these questions. And, and, and guys, it wasn't for the lack of studying because I did my best to study. I, I wanted to study and I wanted to know the answers and, and thought I had it here in Fort Knox. Turned out to be a leaky faucet. But, you know, I was doing my best to study as much as I could to come to that test. And the teacher would throw on the, on the table, on the desk there, this true or false stuff. And I'm, I'm like, yes, true or false. I, I'm, I, I 50-50 chance, and I began to look at the questions or, or the answers, the statements that I have to determine whether or not it is true or false. And I'm going to tell you, man, them teachers are tricky. <laughs> I mean, I'm reading the question and, and the statement, and I'm, I'm thinking right off the bat, my knee-jerk reaction, there's my, there's my answer. It's a true statement, or that's a false statement. Right off the bat, boom, there it is, and then I get to thinking, maybe it's not. I reread the statement. Mm, it looks a little tricky. Looks a little tricky. You, you know, you know. Sometimes them teachers will put that statement out there, and it'll look like it's right, but in reality, it's it's not. Or, or maybe vice versa. It may look wrong, but but it's right because the words of the statement mean an awful lot. But but it can be tricky. It can be if we just want to take it a step further. We might say it's a little bit deceptive in its presentation. And so what I did in, in, in my schooling, because I was not, um, you know, one of them top three uh, students in my class. Some of you guys, man, y'all were up there in your class. Y'all are some smart people. 
mean, you did real well. You were like valedictorian and salutatorian and historian and whatever. I was, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time. You know, people in my class started getting the, the, the who's who awards. I got the who's that award. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just wasn't there. But, but in, in my efforts to do as best as I could, I, I would get so caught up in the statement and trying to decipher, and really up in my head, trying to figure it out. What, what, what did she mean by this? What did he mean by this word or that, that phrase? Or, and, and, and I began to, to see the, the, what I thought was the right answer in the wrong answer and began to believe something that in the statement that was not right was really a deceptive kind of thing. And then I began to own it for myself to where when I was sitting at the desk, I'm taking the test and I'm not just putting down T and F and I'm not just trying to examine every word and every phrase and every statement because I wanted to pass, I want to make mama glad. But also I had in the back of my mind a plan B to where when I got that paperback and it was more red than black on it, then I was able to justify myself. So I'm, I'm looking at these statements. So if this is really a, a false statement, I said it was a true statement, then when the teacher comes to me and says, Andy, let's review your test, I'm going to have a really good defense to tell her why I thought my answer was right and she should remove the red mark because she sees it from my perspective. And what I actually wound up doing was I began to place myself on the side of deception in a deeper sense when I could have just as easily accepted the wrong in the deception. I wanted to be a deceiver as well. You say, Andy, you looked way too deep into true and false answer questions. <laughs> Probably so. But tonight, as we continue our study in the book of Acts, we're in chapter 5, and I see an illustration of a married couple, Sapphire and Ananias, who were a couple that wanted to do the right thing with the wrong intention, and it led to their demise. It was a bad, bad thing. It's a good thing that turned out really bad, and the reason that it was a good thing that turned out really bad is because they chose to believe their own lie in this situation. Here's what you got to be aware of. Don't believe your own lie. You don't have to believe your own lie. As a matter of fact, you know it's a lie. And the best thing for you to do when you know it's a lie or there is that whisper from the enemy in your ear as it was for them is to identify, put the stamp on it that marks it and reject it. Now, if you want the sermon in a sentence, there it is. But since I've got more sentences, <laughs> Acts chapter 5 we're going to read verses 1 through 11. This is what he says. This is the recording of Luke as he's writing the story that has happened. But a certain man, but is a conjunction word. It's bringing chapter 4 into chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy. I like that. That is a King James word, old English word. It just means she knew what he was doing. And so she was privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, and Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, thine heart, to the light of the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? 
why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and a great fear came upon all that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up. This is an important verse in this entire story. Hold on to this verse. We're going to go back to it. And the young men rose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't know. Couldn't get the word out quick enough, right? Verse 8, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which had buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. She died. The young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Man, we have been in a journey all the way up to chapter 5. It has been really good chapter one. Jesus is resurrected. He is ascending. The church is listening to the words of Jesus in an obedient manner, and they're praying together, 120 in the upper room. They're getting ready to make leadership decisions to replace Judas. And, and so chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preach with boldness the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church explodes. There is a mega church that is formed in number, at least, from chapter two to chapter three. Chapter Chapter 4, you know what's happening there. You remember the first form of persecution takes place and what we would all deem as negative, they actually, after receiving this kind of whiplash, uh, took it as something positive and turned it around and used it for the glory of God. And they're praising the Lord and the Spirit of God fills the place in where they were praying, shaking it. He displays his power and his approval. And then in the latter part of chapter 4, we see to where as a result of persecution, they were a people who experienced power and now they are, because of this powerful influence of the Holy Spirit, loving one another and praying for one another and living life together, having all things in common, and they are doing their best to give to those who have need because their heart is full of compassion and they're sympathetic when they see somebody within the fellowship of the believers who does not have, they sell what they've got to take care of that need, a very sacrificial thing. And that's really what leads us into chapter 5. Chapter 5, we've got a husband and wife couple, and, and they, they've experienced something in the previous chapter. Remember, there's a guy who was the son of encouragement or consolation, as it says in, in, in the King James Version. He was the son of encouragement. There's, there's Barnabas. And he sees all that is happening, man. His heart is overflowing with joy. He is loving with compassion his brothers and sisters. And he obviously, along with others, not just him, if you go back up to chapter 4 in verses 35 through 37, you, you'll see that it wasn't just Barnabas, but there were others who, who laid down their gains from the sole possessions that they had at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according to their needs. It was a concerted effort. Before, before we read this next couple of verses, you can skip 36 and go into verse 37. It just tells who that is. But when you experience power, you 
are motivated to do something in response to what you've experienced. It's a simple statement, right? But it's true. So let me give you an example. Let's just say that you are in a moment of worship personally. You hear from God. God moves over your heart. He reveals to you this truth. It shakes you to your core, but it leads you to a place of decision. And now you're going to go forward in this decision. You, you learn here in this moment that what has been good for you between you and God and you and God alone is, is worth applying in some sense of your life and you're going to live out what God had just spoken to you in Revelation. Now I want you to do me this favor. You don't have to show of hands. Has, has anybody ever experienced what I just described? Yeah. Now take that one experience, just one out of the many that you've had just like that, put it in a collective setting with the church. What if everybody, let's just say tonight since we're here tonight, what if tonight everybody in this room had the experience that you remember you had when you were by yourself searching the Lord, serving the Lord, worshiping Him? God shows up, He reveals something to you. What if everybody in this room had the same experience? And because in your situation you were motivated to do something in response of it, let's just say that every single person in this room had the exact same experience together and everybody was motivated to do the same thing. <laughs> how, how awesome would that be? How amazing would that, I mean, this is literally what happens in chapter four, that, that the Holy Spirit shows up in amazing power, shaking the place, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to preach, to share the word of God with boldness, and they're all together on the same page, empowered with the same person, and as, as a result, they are, they are selling their possessions and they're generously bringing it at the apostles' feet. The apostles are in touch with the needs of the people and it's being distributed. And then those who were doing a good portion of the giving were recognized not because they wanted to be recognized, just because it was the nature of how it was done. They were recognized <laughs> and and there's a couple in that group who say, who say to themselves, maybe because they're a married couple, maybe they come together and, and they talk about it together and they say, did you, did you see, experience what I, when we were together and the Spirit of God came and all of this crazy stuff began to happen and, and people are selling things that once was precious to them that they would have fought the world off to keep. Now they're selling it and they're giving it generously to people who have need in this. It's amazing. Did you, did you see with Barnabas how when he gave to that widow through the apostles' ministry, how she loved him and how she was so grateful and how her, her face was moved to tears and her words lavished love on Barnabas because she was almost at the end of it all. And Barnabas did that for her. And, and, and did you hear what, what, what so-and-so did and his gift and how it ministered to this family? And, and all of a sudden, the wheels began to turn in the hearts and in the minds. And what was so pure in one moment? Hey, everybody listen to me. What was so pure in one moment became such poison in the next. 
What was so pure in one moment became so poisonous in the next. What turned purity into poison? Well, we read here in chapter 5, we've already read these verses, but the scripture names these two individuals in a very difficult situation, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a possession. This is verse 1 of chapter 5, verse 2. They kept back part of it. Ananias his, and Sapphira, his wife also being privy to it, knowing it. And they only brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Obviously, Peter was a part of that. Peter in this moment had some kind of a discernment that was given to him by God. <laughs> it, it, it was one of those moments to where, where Peter saw what was invisible and Peter heard was what wasn't being spoken. This is a supernatural moment that took place that is beyond our human reasoning. We know that the, the Holy Spirit was promised to help the apostles understand in certain times these things, but, but this is the fleshed out living moment of what they were promised in John chapter 14 through John chapter 16. And so Peter, he addresses the, the husband, and Ananias, why has, catch this, Satan filled your heart to lie to who? The Holy Ghost. To keep back part of the price of the land. Whew, I mean, it's, it's, it's getting thick in here. You see, what happens is, is there's the selling of the land. There is the greed for the attention. There is the we're giving it all mentality when they're not really giving it all. They're just giving what's told. Side note, everybody look. Be careful. Be careful. Sometimes we can say, I'm giving it all. You know doggone well in your heart you ain't giving it all. I ain't talking about money. Attention, attitude, the resource of your heart. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't be careful to say, I'm giving it all. Because sometimes what will happen is we want others around us to think that we're giving it all, especially when we get around Christians, because we want Christians to think we're really Christian. I'm giving it all. Holy Spirit says, mm, you're really not giving it all. And the Holy Spirit says, I know that you're not giving it all. Peter just busts him out right here. And, and, and man, there's so many times I've desired to live in the era of the New Testament. There's so many times I, I wanted to say, I wanted to be in the boat whenever Peter gets out and walks on water. I want to be outside the tomb when Lazarus is raised from the dead. I want to be in the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls and they receive the gift of tongues and they proclaim the good news of the gospel. I don't want to be in Acts chapter 5. Just telling you. Why has, you see, what happened with Ananias and Sapphira is they got the wheel turning. It gave opportunity for Satan to come in. There are very few passages in Scripture that has contributed to the power of Satan. David was tempted by Satan to number Israel. Job Job is doing his thing, living the right way, and Satan comes and asks God. God says, have you considered Job? 
Satan himself. He didn't send one of his imps, one of his demons. It it wasn't a, a devil, plural, lowercase, that was sent to him. Satan himself came. Jesus in the wilderness goes and he fasts 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out, he's hungry, and it was not a demon that came and approached Jesus. It was Satan himself. Judas, who was a thief from the beginning, we know his end, and and he was filled with Satan. Why has Satan filled you to do this thing? You see, the Antichrist, not going to preach a whole lot on that. And by the way, just for the record, if you ask me afterwards, I don't know who it is. Okay? You know? But the Antichrist would be filled with the enemy, Satan himself. Not demon-possessed, but satanically possessed. Here's one of those moments to where it's not the issue of a devil or a demon. It's not the issue of oppression or possession. It's the issue of Satan with an influence. And Satan is filled thine heart. He has influenced your motive in this to lie, again, not, not to man, not to Peter, not to John, not to James, not to, not to Barnabas to try to size yourself up to him, but to the Holy Ghost. Now, let me say this. Everybody else was affected when they lied to the Holy Ghost. Another side note. If you lie to the Holy Ghost, everybody around you is going to be affected. There's no way around it. If you lie to the Holy Ghost, everybody around you is, is going to be affected. But, but verse 4, he says, when you had it, whilst it remained, was it not, not your own? You could have done anything in the world you wanted to do with this, uh, this land. You could have kept it. You could have sold it. You could have deeded it in inheritance to your kids or grandkids. You didn't have to give it. Nobody was forcing your hand to do this. Verse 5. Or no, go back up to verse 4. I'm sorry. I wanted to hit that last part of that verse. Real, real quick contrast. He says, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. We, we are, for lack of better terms, Trinitarian type people. What does that mean? We believe God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one. Okay? He says in the previous verse, you've not lied to men, but to who? The Holy Ghost. And now he says, you've not lied unto men, but you've lied unto God. You see, Jesus is God in flesh. The Lord, he is God. And the Holy Spirit is God in spirit, right? So just a a theological side note there of doctrine to make sure that we hit the next verse. And in us hearing his words, there was a response. Because this is what was necessary to keep verse 5 from happening. Later on, verse 9 from happening. The response was confession and repentance. Don't be deceived. Sin leads to death. Not always is it a physical death. But here it was a physical death. The the, the desire in Peter's heart, the desire and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and, and if this person was saved, there's a big debate. Was Ananias and Sapphira saved? I don't know. Only thing we got about them is in these 11 verses. I do know this about them. They had land, they sold it, they lied, and they died. You're up to date on everything I know about them. 
But there had to have been conviction happening before this moment. And hearing these words, the last opportunity for their repentance, the last chance for them to confess. Hearing these words, they fell down. He fell down, gave up the ghost. He died in great fear. <laughs> Such an understatement. Everybody got scared in a hurry. Verse 6. The young man arose. We're going to save the rest of that verse for here in just a few minutes. It's about three hours later. Sapphira comes in. She don't know what happened. She's confronted by Peter. Peter said, did you and Ananias sell for such and such a price? Yes, we did. They didn't. They were conspiring. They were believing their own lie together. They were okay deceiving everybody. Sometimes there is the thought. Now remember, these people were more than likely Jews and in the mouth of two witnesses, something is established. Maybe they were trying to even deceive the Jewish leaders in that area to think, well, no, there's two of them that are saying the same thing. It's got to be right. They're not only trying to dupe others, trick the Holy Spirit, but flip the law. And so she says, yeah, we sold it for so much. And Peter said unto her, how is it that you've agreed together? This term agreed together in the scripture in the original language is the same exact word used in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess, it's confess, this is the word confess, agreed together. Confess with your heart or your mouth to the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you shall be saved. For the heart man believes in the righteousness with a mouth confession, it's that word, confession is made unto salvation. How is it that you have confessed together, covenanted together, agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the people who buried your husband, they're here now and they're going to bury you too. They're fixing to carry you out. In verse 10, she fell down dead. They took her. They buried her. And again, for the second time in 11 verses, everybody freaks out. <laughs> Great fear came upon all the church. As many as heard these things. There was a reverential fear because they saw the power of God. We just came from a chapter that gave them the example of the power of God. You see, the power of God is so multifaceted we know what we know through the revelation of the word, but there's a whole lot more to know. You want to know it through the experience in a positive sense, but if we're not careful in life, we can know it through the experience of something that we would deem as negative, at least in the onset, because it hurts. I've told you guys this before in the past that I was let go from a church in South Mississippi uh, that Sunday night. I told God, people are mean. I don't like people. I'll never pastor again. I'll go preach anywhere in the world. You want me to go because I can go tell them what was up and leave, you know, and so I'm fine with that. And, and so I'm arranging work. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to be fine with that. And that Saturday, I break my right ankle. And I'm talking about in two. It's like a joint. I'm like, that's not supposed to do that. And so Laurie comes, puts me in the car, takes me to Jackson. Long story short, I'm on crutches for about four, five months. You know, I experienced God's power in a way that originally was negative, at least in my mind. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It was very positive in the long run. But I was a knucklehead who needed to be disciplined. Because for some reason, I thought I own my own life. And I don't, right? 
So you can experience the power of God in a lot of different ways. And they just experienced it in chapter four in this mind-blowing, amazing, life-altering way to where the Spirit of God showed up. They became bold and answered their prayer and they do all these things, but now they're seeing that God is not one to play with. God is one to be respected and honored and reverenced and served and loved and you don't try to trick God. There's two different things about trying to trick God. There's, there are those times to where God, you try to trick God, I try to trick God by ignorance. We're ignorant to the fact that we're trying to trick God and sometimes we try to trick God on purpose and it always comes back on us, right? Some of you guys are looking at me tonight like, Andy, you're not preaching to me. Well, I'm preaching to me, okay? So the issue here is money. And what do we know about, about the issue of money? That's what their heart loved. And the scripture says the, 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 the love of money is the root of all evil. Once the love of money takes possession of a person, there is no evil that he cannot or will not do. So what they did is they listened to the wrong voice. Real quick, there's two voices that all of us can listen to internally, uh, spiritually speaking. There will be the whispering voice of the enemy, and if we're not careful, we'll believe that he is the right voice and not the wrong voice because he likes to turn himself into an angel of light. He, at the tree, says to Eve, he didn't just come out and say, oh yeah, take that fruit, you're going to jack your life up. That's what happened, but that's not what he said. He said, ah, it's not too big of a deal. Yeah, God said this, but what he really meant, let me be God's interpreter to you. Let, 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 me, let me tell you what God's really trying to say. We know who the devil is. We know who Satan is. In, in John chapter 8, verse 44, we see this dialogue Jesus has with religious leaders who are esteeming themselves above the sacrifice that is to come through Jesus. And he, he just calls them out. He says, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks his own for he is a liar and the father of of it. Be careful of what voice you listen to because there is an enemy who wants you to think that he's your father and he's going to usher in this thing that may on the onset sound good and truth, but it's a lie <laughs> and it will jack you all kind of up. But there's another voice. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13. This voice of the Holy Spirit is one of truth. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. This is our option whenever we're hearing these things. And this is an issue here, guys. Listen, we can experience life and come away from those experience a little bit skewed depending on what, what voice we choose to listen to in the moment of that experience. We can really ruin something that could be meant for good and wholesome things for your life. We can really mess things up if we're listening to the wrong voice, even if it is good and intended for good. The wrong voice can make it really, really bad. And so Sapphire and Ananias, they, they believed their own lie. And so we don't, we don't want to believe our own lie. We want to choose to believe the truth. We want to choose to believe the truth. Andy, how can I discern the difference between a lie and the truth? 
Well, got a couple of thoughts for you. The first thing is, is a lie believed will lead you to three things. A lie believed will lead you to three things. What are those three things? Verse six is going to be a strong verse for us to look at in these only two points, okay? And the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, buried him. You see, if you believe your own lie, it can originate somewhere else. It can originate in an experience. It can originate in the words of somebody else. It can originate in that little whispering of the enemy in your heart or in your mind. It can be a skewed thought about something that took place, but it's going to lead. How do I know? This is where lies always lead. Because lies, listen to this, always lead to losing. Lies always lead to losing. Lies never lead to winning. You say, I told a lie, I got what I want, they never found out, I win, they lose. No, 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 no. <laughs> Liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. Sounds like a loss to me, right? The, the, the three things here, if you look at this verse, and the young men who are with Ananias, they do somewhat of the same there with Sapphire. When, when she dies, the young men get up and they wound him up. Okay, so let me put it in today's terminology. Something devastating happens. We call Otten Lee Funeral Home. I need you to come here. This bad thing's done happened to me and my family, and I need you to come. And they, they come... And they've got, I don't mean to get too gross, okay? Forgive me, but I think this is a very powerful thought if you'll let it sink in. They come in with this black bag with a silver zipper. I've seen it more times than I want to. They'll have their name stamped on the front side and they'll have a clear pocket on the other side to where they're going to put who this is in this bag. And they're going to put you in that bag and they're going to zip you up and they're going to put you on that little gurney. It's way undersized for any human being. And listen, when it happens to me, my feet's going to be hanging off that far. I'm just telling you, I've done seen it. And, and they're going to put you in that hearse and they're going to wound you up. They, here what they did is they, they took strips of cloth, burial cloth, and they, they bound that individual up and, and they tied it together. And, and there's no room for movement, not even an inch, because what would happen in that day, the same in the day. And again, I don't mean to be too, too descriptive or, or, or gross or anything, but sometimes the nerves will continue to live when the body is dead. Maybe there's a flinch here or an arm there or a foot here. And so they bind it up. They bind that body up and they tie it together real good and they close the jaw and they close the eyes and they wrap it up and the arms are tight and the legs are tight and the feet are tight and the knees are tight and it's tightly bound together. And they carried him out. Couldn't carry himself. He's dead. A dead man can do nothing. And they pick him up like pallbearers without a casket. And they're taking this man to a place that he cannot or is not choosing to go. It's not his choice now. The choices have been made. This is it. Now somebody else is making a choice. He's bound up, can't move. He's being carried out outside of his own will. And he's buried. For us, it's to dig a hole, put dirt on top. For them, maybe a hewn out cave and roll a stone in front of but it is isolation, the end, conclusion 
over. Listen to me. When you allow Satan to fill your heart with a lie against the Holy Ghost, when you choose to start believing a lie, the lie binds you up. You are now going somewhere outside of your will because your will never doesn't exist anymore in this, right? And it ends in death. It ends in death. This is where a lie leads. You, you say, Andy, it was just a little white lie. It doesn't matter. It's a lie. By the way, there are no small sins compared to big sins. A sin's a sin. Whether you lied about a piece of bubble gum or you lied about a bank account, you, you lied. The next thing, all right, the opposite of that. A, a, a lie believed will lead you to those three things, but a truth believed will lead you to some things as well. Back to verse 6. We take verse 6 and we just kind of flip it inside out. Well, we've got the idea that he's wound up, he's carried out, and he's buried. Well, when we decide to choose to receive, believe the truth, that we know that it's truth. How do we know that it's truth? Because the Spirit of God confirms inside of us that it is truth. There's no check inside of me that would say that this is not the truth. This is the truth. What does it do when you, when you believe the truth? You're freed. You're freed. The opposite of being wound up is that you are loosed. You are free. You can move and, and you can sense this life that you're in. And you're not, you're not carried out against your own will. Now you have the opportunity because God is a steward of truth and he's giving you truth. And he's saying, live within the perimeter of this truth. And he says, go enjoy all things that I'm giving unto you. He says, now I am going to operate my goodness through your will because your will is surrendered to my plan. And, and the last thing on here is when we believe a lie, we're buried. But when we believe the truth, we are resurrected. We, you see, truth has resurrection power. Truth is what speaks to the dead things of your life and says, get up and live again. That's what truth does, right? This is a truth. Hear this truth. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I've received this commandment of my father. If I lay it down, I can receive it up again. What did he do? He sacrificially in the garden says, not my will be done, but yours be done. He goes to the cross. He has people accusing him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He dies on a cross. He's placed in a tomb and literally physically bodies lays there for three days and what happens because of truth he is the way the truth and the life there is no other way to the father but by him he is because of the truth there is resurrection hey guys look at me if you believe the truth and when you choose to believe the truth you choose to re reject the lie when you choose to receive and believe the truth there will be more life than you can ever possibly imagine. <laughs> there can be more life than you could 
possibly imagine. I'm going to ask Eli to come up. This ain't planned. And he ain't, well, he don't know about it. He's ready for it, right? I think maybe tonight there's some of us who have believed a lie. And because we have believed a lie, we have been wound up. We are being carried away. And we're headed to a grave. But the crowd that I love and the crowd that I know, <laughs> you are a truth-receiving crowd. You love the truth because Jesus is truth because he says that if you, if you trust him in his truth, he, his truth will set you free. And when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And, and maybe somebody here tonight just needs to spend a little bit of time in prayer. And that's how you're doing your war. And you're fighting against the lie that you're trying to believe and you don't want to believe it, but you need to reject it. You need to leave that lie. And you just need a little more time to, to pray and seek the Lord. You, you find yourself, you're you're being bound up. You're being carried away. The tomb is within sight. Is that what you want? Nah, it's not what you want. You want life. You want resurrection. You want freedom. So why not get it? 